by the powers vested in me by the Federal Communications Commission, I command you to get on the microphone in a serious manner and continue this broadcast. Jonathan Weir, I'll be your host this evening, uh, filling in for Spike O'Neill. Thanks so much for joining me. I uh, got Matt Butler with me. Hey, Matt. Hey, man. How's it going? It's going great. Good this to have is, you join us. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, this is a dream come true for me. I'm not even kidding. Being on air in Seattle, because Matt, listen to how big of a dork I am. What was your favorite show when you were like 12 years old? When I was 12 years old, hmm, Perry Mason. I loved good detective stories. Perry Mason. Yes. That is an interesting choice for a 12-year-old and makes my choice seem a little less dorky. My favorite show is Frasier. I was going to say, is this some sort of Frasier-related lifelong fantasy to be on the air in Seattle? I, I, I did everything I could to weasel my way onto air in Seattle by hook or by crook. I'm finally on. And I can finally live out this dream. And just like Fraser, I'm in my early 40s and and balding and have a gigantic head. So it's it it all it all fits. Um, I want to talk first of all before we get to um, too much in the show. I, I want to talk about jobs and how they affect our lives and our perspective on things. How many times has there been a news story? That has blown up into a national conversation, and it was about your job. If you're a health worker, a teacher, a president of the United States, as many of you may be, I, I don't know, it happens a lot. Doesn't happen too much for us in radio unless somebody does something really dumb, like manhandles Taylor Swift or, um, I don't know, was that guy that made that woman hold her water until she died somehow? The big story nationally right now is this chemical spill that happened in East Palestine, Ohio. An entire one-mile radius of a town had to be evacuated because someone screwed up. Someone on the railroad. And that is a job that I know fairly well. My entire family, from my grandfather to my dad and my uncles, all work, actually work currently or worked on the railroad. My father-in-law worked on the railroad, and I also was a railroad worker for five years or so. And even more mind-blowing to me, that train that derailed in East Palestine came from Madison, Illinois. That actually came from the yard that I used to work in, in Madison, Illinois. And something that kind of amazes me in the story is that no one, not one person, is focusing on the actual railroad workers. Hearing a lot of stuff about Norfolk Southern, about what management is doing and what the EPA is doing. They're saying it's good to come back to the town. And, oh, Norfolk and Southern isn't going to these community meetings because they've been threatened for some reason. They're, they're getting lots of death threats. Don't know what happened. But no one's actually talking about the actual railroad workers that are at the center of this disaster. The humans 
that cause the human error. I used to work, again, in that rail yard in Madison, Illinois. And I worked with a guy named Dan. People called him Dirty Dan, which wasn't the most creative nickname, but they called him that because he would come to work filthy. Meaning he hadn't changed from the night before. He was a diesel mechanic. He would fall asleep on the job with a lit cigarette in his mouth, and he'd wake up when the ashes would start to burn him. He would steal gas from this tank that was intended for work trucks and wink at me while he was doing it. He once showed me a picture of a porn star and told me that she was his girlfriend. One time, there was an air compressor that was blowing. Dan didn't know how to fix it. So he took a bolt and screwed it into the compressor where the air was blowing out. And it exploded minutes later. One time, I saw him roll over a switch in a locomotive that was set the wrong way because he wanted to see what would happen. What happened was the engine derailed. And then he tried to sue the company when he bashed his head against the window. One time I saw him bring a six-pack onto an engine and stay up there the rest of the night. Drinking beer and singing Skinnerd songs. And I would have told on him, but I got more work done that night than I did the entire time that I was at the railroad working with him. How was he as a singer, though? Uh, I've got to tell you, the more beers he drank, the The better better he sounded. sounded. I mean, I think that just applies to Skinnerd. If you're singing ABBA... (laughs) I think I think you have to be stone cold sober. Um, I'm telling you, Matt, and everybody else about Dirty Dan, because he was working at the railroad at a time where we were paid pretty well. We had guaranteed breaks. We had good schedules, at least where I worked. We had we had great health care. We had the kind of health care that like government workers get more or less. You didn't pay for anything. We were taken care of. He was just an idiot who made a lot of mistakes. He was also the most dangerous person I've ever worked with. And that's relevant to what's going on right now as far as this chemical spill is concerned. Because 15 years later, railroad workers now aren't treated the way I was treated when I worked there 15 years ago. They have insane schedules. A third of the workforce was cut during the pandemic. And their workload, despite the workforce being cut by a third has doubled. And I can tell you that everyone I have talked to who still works on the railroad, and I know a lot of people there, has said that mistakes and safety violations have gone through the roof and they're just being covered up. They've worked these guys to the point where it's an entire industry of dirty dance. Unintentional. But that's what it is. And that brings us to the chemical spill in Ohio. This is, I'm not the first person to say this. This is a Chernobyl-level screw-up. There will be a movie or an HBO series. Something's going to be made about this. And the main character, just like it was in Chernobyl, will be stupidity. It'll be human error. It'll be stupidity. If you're unfamiliar with what happened, uh, on February 3rd, 
a Norfolk Southern train carrying toxic and flammable materials derailed. Um, something was wrong with the braking system, and a ton of cars went off the rails, caused a huge fire. 20 of the cars that caught fire had hazardous material in them. Some of them had polyvinyl chloride, which is basically liquid cancer, <laughs> okay? It's, it's basically, it's plastic. It's used as a filler in plastic. It's basically liquid cancer. Instant tumors is basically what this is. And that fire burned for days, and no one did anything. Then on February 5th, there was this urgent evacuation. Everyone within a mile had to evacuate the area due to the potential for a catastrophic tanker failure, which could cause an explosion with the potential of deadly shrapnel traveling up to a mile. It's basically an action movie broke out around this train. So, in their wisdom, they decided to burn the polyvinyl chloride. This released phosgene uh, gas into the atmosphere. Phosgene, by the way, was used as a chemical weapon in World War II. These are all decisions that Dirty Dan would have made, by the way. I'm just telling you right now. Well, that's a problem, just burn it. Same guy who would screw a bolt in an air compressor that's going off would be the guy who would be like, well, just burn the PVC. They'll be fine. Um, residents are terrified of coming back to the town. They have uh, been told by the EPA and everyone else, it's perfectly safe to come back to town. Do you, would you trust it? I the certainly people wouldn't. People who are burning the stuff are telling you come back. What did you say, Matt? I'm sorry. I said I certainly would not. I wouldn't. And you know what? It's funny. Uh, the NS, Norfolk Southern, they offered apparently $1,000 to these people who had to be evacuated. And lawyers are saying, like, don't take that money. Do not take that money. Because that'll be like you saying, oh, uh, well, I'm not going to sue you then. Even though the, the release that they have to sign says that this doesn't release all claims against us or whatever, it still makes you look bad if you take the money. So the people are like, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I live in East Palestine, Ohio, we don't even pronounce the city correctly. I could probably use $1,000, but they're not taking it. Well, whatever value is in your house is gone now because nobody's going to want to oh, live like, in it. If Look, it, and if there was a lot to begin with, because, uh, th- look, I, I, again, grew up in areas like this. I worked in areas like this. If you're around a rail yard, for some reason, the quality of the air and the quality of your house is diminished greatly. Uh, even though the EPA will say that the air is totally safe to breathe, uh, I don't know if I would trust them. I don't know if I would trust them. But the windsock is going the other direction. I'm sure you're fine, so long as it's not blowing towards you, man. Um, It's a terrible story. It is a horrifying story, and it is just the crystallization of everything that is currently wrong in America right now. And this is why I think the story strikes so much, despite, I mean, I mean uh, not just because of the amazing visuals that we're getting from it of like, it looks like a mushroom cloud of PVC gas just billowing over the city. We also have incompetence from the railroad industry, from the NS, 
We have them overworking their employees to the point where they obviously have made mistakes. We also have the government because there was a braking system that apparently was supposed to be implemented back in 20, oh, 2013 or so. And then in 2017, the government was like, nah, I don't need it. Probably would have prevented this accident, but we got rid of it. Currently, in 2023, the government sided with the railroads, has not implemented that new braking system. And on top of that, back in December of last year, told these workers that, yeah, SOL, buddy. Guess what? You want to go on strike? That's illegal. You can't do it. Oh, we'll try to make sure that you get some of your demands met. But as far as going on strike, you can't do that because you're too important. It's an insane system set up for failure. And the way they're treating their employees is putting so much pressure on what is already a fragile system. Like, Matt, let me ask you this. Do you know when the braking system for the trains was invented? Because I do, because I work there. But do you, do you have any idea when the braking system that these trains used was invented? I'm guessing the late 1800s. Wow, you were very, very close. Kind of ruined my bit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was, I was going to say the 60s, the 1860s. It was invented by George Westinghouse in 1869. Wow. Slavery had only been illegal for five years (laughs) when when this breaking system. I mean, Ulysses S. Grant was the president of the United States when they started using this. The telephone had not been invented when they started using this. And that was fine until recently. That was fine when you had workers that were rusted and not made incompetent by exhaustion. But it's not good enough anymore. Here's what, here's what I hope. I hope that this chemical spill and everything involved is a wake-up call. Um, before an even worse spill happens in in your town or your family has to be evacuated. I hope that railroads and the government will do the responsible thing and make sure safety and sanity are reinstituted and workers are treated better so mistakes like this don't happen. But here's what I know. There's a difference between something I hope and something I know. Until things change... This is going to happen again and again and again. And again, it hasn't changed since 1869. Not because the brakes are too expensive to fix. They could put new brakes in. It's just too cheap not to fix it. And the next time you hear about a tragic railroad incident, which hopefully won't be soon, but I know is coming. You can thank the Dirty Dans of the world, whether they are running the the railroad or working on the railroad or in the halls of Congress. So there you go. I just needed to get that off my chest uh, because that's been the big story today. I have a question for you, Matt. Yes. How did you spend Valentine's Day? (laughs) (laughs) I spent Valentine's Day here. You spent it there? I I spent it at work. I did, did no, absolutely nothing special for Valentine's Day whatsoever. You have a girlfriend, right? I do. 
So we are doing what a sort of belated Valentine's this weekend because she's coming up to see me. So, oh, that's okay. So that you you got off, you got a flight. That's that's a great structure, right? <laughs> because you don't have the pressure of forgetting it, and then you get to celebrate it on days when no one else is celebrating it. Plus, you could buy her stuff today. You could have bought her stuff today when it's on sale. Yeah, it's 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 a good situation to be in. It it works it, for me. Yeah. Um I here's I'm just going to tell you real quick what happened with me on Valentine's Day. Um here's how I knew it was Valentine's Day. My wife woke me up and said, "Happy Valentine's Day." That is when I knew it was Valentine's Day. <laughs> it happens was, on the I, same day every year. I I know. I so I went back uh I, I'm from I'm from Kansas City. Uh, well, I, I've lived in Kansas City for a while. I went back, visited my friends, watched the Super Bowl with them, and then flew back. And then the next day was Valentine's Day. My wife got me a belt um, that I could wear when I'm out walking so cars don't hit me. And she wrote me like this beautiful love note. She basically did everything she could to not rub my face in the fact that she's a much better wife than I am a husband. <laughs> Which just makes me feel worse. So <laughs> that was that was my Valentine's Day. Uh, coming up, we need to talk about this. Are you depressed or anxious or lonely? Well, guess what? You're not alone. There is an epidemic of it. So what can you do about it? Apparently, stop texting people and actually start calling them. Why? Well, that's coming up at 7.33 on Cairo Nights. Spike O'Neill, happy Wednesday, everybody. The day after Valentine's Day, otherwise known as maybe the first day of the rest of your life. I don't know. Discount candy uh, day. Discount candy day. How many people do you think break up on Valentine's Day, Matt? Ooh, too it, many. It would take it, it, it would take a lot of guts to do it on either side. You think you would either do it before Valentine's Day, then you don't have to get him a gift, or you do it after Valentine's Day. But on Valentine's Day would be incredibly, incredibly cruel. But I knew a couple uh, <laughs> back in Kansas City, and she served him the papers on Valentine's Day because, in his words, cruelty was the point. So, yeah. Too many people. Too many people break up on Valentine's Day. The only day way that one. could be worse is if they did it via text on Valentine's Day. Via texting on Valentine's I know a guy, my friend uh, Chris Carpenter from Belleville, Illinois. He broke up with the chick through a video game. You want to hear how he did it? Absolutely. It wasn't like they were playing World of Warcraft or something. Well, actually, that sounds cool compared to the way he actually did it. <laughs> Uh, it wasn't like they were online streaming together or something like that. This was back in the early, mid-90s or so. He was playing a game called Chrono Trigger where you could name your character. And he named his character, Beth, I'm breaking up with you. They gave him that many characters? 
That's impressive. I I don't know, man. Those old school RPGs with the eight bits. You oh, I remember Chrono characters. Trigger. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, speaking of text, you hear about it all the time now. There is a loneliness epidemic, and a lot of people say it's because of texting. It's interesting because we have more avenues to connect through than we've ever had before, but there isn't a lot of traffic on those streets through social media and texting and all that stuff. We are very connected, but still somehow very alone. Recently, the BBC carried out the world's largest loneliness study and found that 40% of 16 to 24-year-olds reported feeling lonely. And something that researchers said can help immediately is putting the phone down and then, well, picking it back up and making a phone call. (laughs) Putting the phone down for social media and texting and then picking it back up and calling somebody. Calling someone you feel close to and engaging in a meaningful conversation They say over the phone, it can alleviate loneliness and help young people reconnect with others. New study says it can alleviate symptoms of loneliness and depression by as much as 50%. Uh, How old are you, Matt? I am 40 years old. 40 years old. So you're one year younger than me. That's interesting. Uh, I thought when you said the Perry Mason thing earlier that you were... (laughs) No, we just happened to have a UHF TV station that aired really old TV shows. All right, cool. Uh, so the, the the reason I asked that is because young people seem to hate phone calls. Young people, and I, I better, I'm not going to include us in that. We're both 40 and 41. But I would say anybody between the age of 20 and 35 does not like phone calls. Like, live in fear of them, hate getting them. In fact, uh, 73% of Gen Zers say... They hate getting phone calls, and when the phone rings, they don't answer it. They let it go to voicemail every time. How are you with this? Because I'm weird. I call everyone. I hate texting. I hate it because my brain is warped by anxiety, and I can turn anything into a negative if my own voice is the one interpreting it. You know what I mean? If I'm reading a message from somebody in my own voice, no matter what it says, I'll somehow twist it into something cruel and horrendous. Like if somebody, my wife texts me, I miss you. Then I'll twist that into, oh, so it's my fault that I'm not around as much as you'd like, huh? She said, I love you. You go, oh, great. Now I'm loved. It's just a matter of time until you stop loving me. (laughs) She said, you're so great. I'd say, yeah. So amazing is off the table then, huh? As somebody the with best. anxiety, Just though, great. myself, mm-hmm. I do find that actually texting is good for me because I can compose my thoughts because I am over analytical about everything that I say and every interaction that I have with other people. This is this is a problem that I have. So texting or writing an email for me gives me some reassurance that I actually am making sure I'm not saying the wrong thing. Whereas conversations are improv, which makes it really ironic that I got into radio. I don't know how that say, works out at all. You realize, you realize you're speaking now to me and thousands and thousands of other people. Yes, but in a phone conversation, the other people can talk back. 
Ah, uh, that's that's fair. That's fair. That is, I think that's why I enjoy radio too. Um, it's great it's, for introverts because you can sit in this little room and not have and to pretend. face the crowds of people that you're talking to. Well, if uh, assuming crowds of people are listening, but you get my point. Sure, of course. Maybe not anymore. But yeah, um, that you can just assume that they're just wrapped and captured by your every word. Uh, it, it is nice in in that experience. But I will say this. I will say this. As far as texting is concerned, I think you're wrong. You you say you like it because you can really think out your thoughts and everything like that. I get what you're saying, but you can also overthink everything. How many times have you sat there sending a text? You got the bubbles going, right, for the other person. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, wait, no, I don't want to say that. Oh, wait, okay, hold on. Let me, because I'm the same as you. I overthink everything. Oh, all the time. So, so my, my overthinking like, oh my God, it's been, they've been seeing me sitting here typing with the bubbles going for like three minutes. Which and then, also makes me anxious. Yes, yes. And then, then all you can write back is like, yeah, I think so too, or something. Like, <laughs> you've written like five paragraphs and you're like, no, this is stupid. They're going to think I'm crazy. And then you delete it all and be like, good going. Then, 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 then they're they're put out because you didn't seem to have much to say, and your response is cold and unfeeling. And then you just right. feel like you lost the conversation. We're never going to be happy. Um, I don't know. I like phone calls. That's I prefer prefer phone calls. I call people. I call my friend James. I call my mom every single day. Uh, maybe I'm the weirdo. I'll even I'll even talk to telemarketers. I don't care. I mean, they have a job. I got I got nothing better to do sometimes. I'll just sit there and talk to them. Let them let them get their spiel out. I'll tell them if they did a good job or not. Do you ask them for their numbers so you can call them back during dinner? <laughs> no, because I just enjoy the company. I just enjoy the company. Uh, it's Kyra Knight's job that we're in for Spike O'Neill. Thanks so much for listening here. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Spike O'Neill. Kind of a sad day in the entertainment world. Raquel Welch passed away at the age of 82. Um, Here's how I found out about this. And it's a kind of a side note to what a glorious and amazing career she had. And I I don't mean to make light of it at all. um, But here's how I found out in the worst way possible. I said earlier... I spent a good chunk of my life in Kansas City. I've been a Kansas City Chiefs fan since I was 10 years old. I went back to Kansas City to watch Super Bowl with friends. They won. It's been an amazing couple of days. Just pure endorphin rush, dopamine going constantly. Today was the Super Bowl parade for the Chiefs in Kansas City. I'm on Twitter, and you know what's trending on Twitter, Matt? I have no idea. I don't. I'm not a twit. <laughs> I don't tweet. Well, good for you. <laughs> this is this is maintaining your sanity um, by by uncoupling from social media is, is actually probably a necessity. Oh, my san my sanity's long gone. It's not for that. It's just a it's a futile attempt. Well, then 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 good for you for not inflicting your insanity on everyone else through social media like so many people <laughs> would do. Uh, no, trending on 
Twitter was the phrase Kansas City Bomber. Which made me a little panicked because the people I know and love seemed like they would be under threat because there's a bomber that's bombing the Chiefs Super Bowl parade. That's not why it was trending. It was trending because Raquel Welch passed away and she apparently was in a movie called Kansas City Bomber. So thank you, Twitter, for making me relieved that a beloved actress had passed away. <laughs> that was that was a fun experience. Um, I do want to talk about her, though. It's very interesting because she was a sex symbol and has been a, had been a sex symbol her whole life. I mean, she was gorgeous until the day she died. She said one time, I was not brought up to be a sex symbol, nor is it in my nature to be one. The fact that I became one is probably the loveliest, most glamorous, and fortunate misunderstanding. So, more or less, she said, I didn't want to be a sex symbol, but it's pretty awesome that I am. Is that wrong? Was she wrong to appreciate the fact that she was a sex symbol? Because nowadays, an actress can't just be sexy. You know? They have to be like taken seriously and and we have to appreciate their full body of work not just their full body and i'm not saying by the way that that's a bad thing i'm not i'm not saying that oh we have to pay attention to women's thoughts now i'm not saying that <laughs> i'm just wondering if that's if i i don't know i i i guess i'm just saying that that's just a thing now I'm not, she I'm did not say it's a good thing or bad thing. in an interview that I read with her, she did say that it made it sort of hard for people to imagine her in any other way. So things that she might have been up for or might have done really well at or would have expanded her palette and her career, people didn't think of her in that way, which kind of limited some of those opportunities. Okay, so she felt it like a typecaster. Right. And she she said well, she said I'm not mad about it. It's just that yeah. I don't think people's imagination could see me differently. It's a little hard to be mad about. Is that like somebody put a gun to your head and made you put on the fuzzy bikini in one million year BC? So you know, and, and you you make a good living off of it. I, that's what I don't. I can I? I'll just tell you something. I'm a total sellout as a human being. <laughs> I'm a total sellout. I love doing radio, and I love that I can make decent money at it. Um, somebody but, can make decent money at radio. You got you got to cue me in on your secret, man. I I don't. Well, I don't know. Uh, if I tell you the secret, you'll tell everybody. <laughs> oh, no, I won't. Uh, I know people in radio can't keep one. So I, I love that I can make e- decent money in radio, but I- I'm a seller. I would do anything for money. I don't care. 20 bucks is 20 bucks. <laughs> you put me in a fur-lined bikini, I'll wear it. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, so, you know, good for her. She made money at it. She She lived that life, and she was a sex symbol. And I think that that's just something that we aren't capable of having anymore. Am I wrong? I don't know. I think it depends on who you are and how you view the world. Well, name an actress that's a sex symbol now. <sighs> I can See, name this an is... actress that's sexy, but I can't name one that you're just like, oh, well, of course they had her in the movie because they need the TNA factor. Yeah. Hmm. Well, the the effort I'm having to put into coming up with a name shows you pretty much where we're at right. with that. Alexandra Daddario. Who? Beautiful woman. Oh. 
She's uh, she's in uh, the White Lotus. She was in um, Baywatch. Okay, Baywatch. okay, beautiful woman. But no, she like in interviews. She's like, you know, I read Nietzsche and stuff like that. Okay, all right. <laughs> it's Kyra Knight, Jonathan Weir, and for Spike O'Neill. I have a lot more coming up next hour.